Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. This show, at least participating in it, is a reward for patrons who pledge at $7 or more per month. If you do that, you can be on the call. We do it every month. Uh, and we always announce it on our Twitter and here on our Patreon. Of course, everyone gets to watch the archive, but if you want to be a, a part of the call, you have to hit pledge at that tier or higher. We have a good group of people in here today to talk games. I'm going to kick it off with someone who has yet to attend one of these, AJ the Legend. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Shane. How's it going? I'm re really, really happy to be here. Um, I've followed you, man, since your early days. Used to um, get furious at you on some of those uh, invisible walls discussions you and the boys used to get into, especially surrounding Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you a Call of Duty fan or no? I am, but I didn't agree with like, I think your argument back then was about like, um, because the amount of revenue it made that it was one of the top tier games every year type thing. And I know some of the other guys used to disagree with that, but uh, I would kind of disagree with you, but I always respect you. So and when you came back, you know, you and Marcus initially, I had to pledge and have been doing so since day one, just not as active as I would like to be on the boards and stuff. Um, but trust me, I listen to every game face. I comment every now in the sessions and uh, I, I got your back. I follow Thank you. you. Thank you for <laughs> your support, man. I really appreciate it. People like you have supported me through all the years, man. You're my OG. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. And it's totally okay that I've said some stuff that's pissed you off across the years. It must not have pissed you off that much if you're still uh, watching Game Face and all our other content. So thanks, AJ. I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Man. Absolutely, brother. What's your question? Well, I wanted to know with it kind of goes along the lines of what I said offline. So with uh, developers, as I've stated in the past, that you like that push things that aren't comfortable for us or normal and you know you say that we should support them do you think that developers are doing that more these days do you feel like we're just stagnant right now in the game industry or do you feel like games are coming out that are different enough to you know push the industry okay um yes to answer your question with just a word yes i think Games with new ideas are far more prevalent now than they used to be. However, with a caveat. And the caveat is that big, big budget games are not as brave as they used to be. And part of that could just be that 15 years ago, there were a lot of ideas just hadn't bubbled up yet. So a lot of developers hadn't even explored sort of more creative ideas because nobody had. Um, and now they have, but they're doing it in a lower risk space, which is indie games. Um, so because there are so many indie games, think back to like the PS3 era, even the PS3 and Xbox 360 era, even. Can you name five indie games from that era? Like any five indie games? Yeah, because there weren't any. Like indie games have exploded and it's good because they're lower risk and you could build them with the team of uh, a team of like five people. And the middleware has come so far at this point that if you use Unity or Unreal, you can do mm -hmm. some amazing stuff with limited knowledge of programming or anything like that. So the barrier to entry for game development in general, that bar has just lowered so much that someone with a good idea and some work ethic 
can make their dreams come true and make a game with some crazy concept that they came up with. Now, they won't always be technically proficient or impressive, but a lot of times you can get at least the idea behind the concept from their first um, attempt at it. Mm. And then hopefully enough people do support it that they then make enough money that they can expand on that idea for the sequel or for the next game. And in some cases, they actually nail it the first time. Mm. So, yes, I think that developers in general are taking a lot more risks now than they used to. But also there are a lot more developers. Um, There's so many studios making games now because you can publish them yourself. You don't need Ubisoft or Activision to sign on to your idea and give you a bunch of money to make it. If you have a group of friends who are really into games and you have a really cool idea, your crew can make it. And that Mm -hmm. has been the real shift is that anyone can make games now and make a proficient game. And so now the ideas are starting to flow forth. I do wish that, and I would say games aren't as bad as movies right now because movies really, I just saw that there's going to be like a Garfield movie. It's like, okay, who is that for? Like, (laughs) I know know what Garfield is. It's a talking cat. And like there was a strip in newspapers every Sunday for like 40 years or whatever. Do kids right. now know Garfield? I mean, it no. Just, no, they don't. It just shows you that. So, you know, when I criticize games, I always try to provide some context. And in this case, I want to provide context to, to say it's not that bad because mm-hmm. other forms of entertainment medium are far worse. It's like look yeah. at Squid Game. Squid mm-hmm. Game, huge. But really, it's just a ripoff of Battle Royale, which came from Japan like 15, 20 years ago. And then that was copied for Hunger Games. And then this is kind of a mix between Hunger Games and Battle Royale. So I feel like the movie and TV industry are more guilty than anything. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. like a Magnum P.I. TV show on right now. (laughs) It's like, what? Magnum P.I., really? Uh, So anytime I, I am critical about games, I try to put it in a little bit of context. And so I would agree that big budget games take less risk, less risks now than ever. But the good news is there's this kind of minor league of indie developers that are really coming up with unique concepts and the unique ideas. And I think a lot of the bigger budget developers wait to see which of those ideas really strike a chord with a lot of players and then start thinking about incorporating them into their game. So it's very important that the indie developers keep doing this because I do fear without them, our industry would just turn into a bunch of Call of Duties or a bunch of God of Wars. And in some ways, it kind of already has become that. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I, I do. It's very important that these indie guys keep making these groundbreaking games and that we keep playing them and we keep supporting them. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question? Yes, you did. And I look forward to the Siftic collection of mini games. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. I'm too busy to do that stuff. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing either. Like I have, I have no clue how to make a video game. Like despite all the time I've spent in development studios and talking to developers, I really have no clue to make how to make a game. People have always yeah. asked me like, do you, and a lot of people who work in games journalism, that is what they want to do. They got into mm-hmm. journalism because they're like, Oh, I think I can get a job doing that. And then I can meet people and I could parlay that into a job as a developer. I've never wanted to do that because I talk to the developers and they're all miserable. Mm -hmm. You get to these events where the game's done and they're showing it to the press at like the review event or their final preview event. And you go to interview these guys and sure, while they're on camera, they're all smiles and laughing and telling anecdotes about developing the game. When all that stuff is over 
and you're at the bar with them a little later and they're sitting there like drowning themselves in scotch and you sit down and have like an <laughs> off the record candid conversation. They're like, I'm right. I can't do it. Like <laughs> this game finished in the nick of time. Like they're all miserable by the time they get to mm-hmm. the end of it. So um, I've never had a desire to be a game developer. Um, it just isn't something I'm interested in, but it also means that I have a lot of respect for what they do. So uh, that's kind of, kind of where I'm at with it. I'm glad that they do it so that we all can enjoy it because I don't think there's any way I could. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, AJ. It was a great question. Hi-ya! All right, let's see who's next. Did McWomble just join? I did just join. What's up, man? Good to see you. I'm good. Well, this is the, the first one I've actually, the time zones have worked out that I've actually been able to get on. And also, like you, you said on Game Face, it's a Saturday night. And so most of the time, my wife is saying Saturday nights, we're going to spend some time together. But she's happy watching TV. <laughs> and I thought I'd jump on. Yeah, that's awesome. It's good to see you, man. Um, we'll get to you in just a second. Next question from Jay Rainville. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Um, good, man. I got two questions that are really different. Okay. Uh, one, I'd love to hear your take on the new 15 minutes of Elden Ring. Like, oh, okay. Game, I can't I'm wait. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I love the, I love From Software. So, like, I'm I'm a fanboy. Um, the other is totally off the wall, but you know, you you were talking about movies, uh, and you know, it's interesting that we're at a point where movies really are recognized as art. Music is recognized as art. When do you think we'll hit a saturation point? A video game acceptance where they're going to be considered an art form as well. Okay. You know, like some indie games, like the suicide of uh, what's her name uh, of Ellen Foster or whatever it yep. is. Edith Finch. Artistic. Edith. No, that's, you know, that's what, I'm, that's what happened to Edith Finch. I think I can yeah, see that's why, what it is. I can see why you could confuse the, uh, the two titles are very similar. Yeah. Okay. First question, the Elden Ring gameplay premiere. Do you know that gif? <laughs> that animated gif where the guy like does this with his face and then he just keeps falling and it just loops over and over of the like oh my god oh my god that was me watching that Elden Ring thing oh my god oh my god first of all graphically that game looks awesome like all the leaks and everything that we had seen like and they were like a lot of stuff shot off screen or whatever and so I knew that, that the game was going to look better than that. But even like the first trailer that they put out for the game compared to what they showed, oh my gosh. Like, and then like the day after they followed up and they said, oh, um, there's going to be like a PS5 and Xbox series, like patch for that. I was like, yeah, no crap. Like, because you can watch that trailer and you can see that that was running in 4K on either PS5 or Series X or on a beefy PC. So technically really impressed with it. Um, artistically amazing. The, the, the enemy designs, the character designs, the animation of the bosses. Oh my God. Like it. So there's like all the, there's a, like they show like 10 boss fights or something in that footage. And like each one of them, how much they interact with the player is amazing. Like snatching them up. Like this one boss snatches him up and he has like a claw with like a dragon's head on it. And he like throws him down and just starts lighting him on fire with like his hand like most boss fights don't do stuff like that the bosses generally don't interact with the player all that much because it just presents this whole series of issues that you have to work through as a developer and that game from what we've seen already is just loaded with it like it was amazing 
And then you start thinking about how big their games generally are. And then those shots where they show the world. Oh, my God. And then I like, like, I do wonder if there's going to be fast travel in the game. I thought they said that there was earlier. But then they showed, like, the, the map marking system and the beacon system, which is really cool, by the way. I love how you put the beacon down. And then they go to that shot of him standing up on the mountain. And you can see the beacon, like, 10 miles away. Like, it's cool. But I was also like, there needs to be fast travel in this because this world is way too big. So that is one concern I have. And then obviously the other concern I have is the same concern that I have with every From Software game. It's like, I see it and I'm like, that looks like the most awesome thing ever. And then I start playing it and I get an hour into it and I'm like, this, I hate it. Like, I hate playing it. Um, and it does sound like they showed a lot of the co-op stuff where people could join your game and help you. And they also showed that one feature where you can like spawn like these deities or whatever to help you fight. And that encouraged me. I was like, okay, like maybe I could focus on that discipline and get sort of these things that I can conjure to a level where it will make playing the game, not a chore for me, but that's always my fear. Like I always want to play from software's games. And then I try to play them and they turn me off. They're just too punishing. And in my opinion, just like too mean spirited, but the things that they've said about the game so far are encouraging. The things that they showed in that 14-minute gameplay blowout, encouraging. Um, it, the game looks amazing. And that's what hurts. Like, I, I tweeted about it last night. I just said, just tweeted Elden Ring with the eyes looking at it. Like, oh, my God. And everybody was like, yeah, that's, that's dude, it looks so awesome. But then almost all the replies to that tweet were, but it's just going to crush my soul when I start playing it and realize it's just like all their other games. And so... That's kind of the X factor for me right now. Um, and I know it's the eternal debate over from software. So I'm not going to get into that again. We've talked about it. I think we've talked about it on Ask Shane before. Um, but that's my big concern. The game looks awesome in every conceivable way. And if it were tuned like a God of War, like that thing would be tracking from like my game of the forever right now. Like that's how impressed I am with it. Um, but there's that caveat still in the back of my mind. Um, it's a from software game. Is it going to be this thing where I have to try everything over and over and over again? Am I going to wander off in the wrong direction and just get wiped out? How is the respawning stuff going to work? That's one thing I'm not sure about yet on the game. Um, is it going to be punishing? Is it going to be like the bonfire stuff again? I don't know. But everything I saw in that gameplay chunk blew my mind. I thought it looked incredible. Um, to me, one of the most exciting and most anticipated games, period, right now. Um, and I'm just Before hoping... You answer Sorry, Shane, before you answer Jay's second question, can I, do, can I ask a follow-up? Sure. Um, so do you think that we're past the point of no return now for From Software ever putting a greater set of accessibility features or even different difficulty modes in their game? Uh, I, I, personally, I don't think they ever would because they've built their reputation on these brutally hard games and built their fan base up to expect that. So would you ever see them not, not disowning that fan base, but just saying, no, we want to create a, a bigger space for people to enjoy. More accessible might. game. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of torn on that because everything that the developers say leads me to say, no, that that will never happen because they, when people ask them about an easier mode on their games, they just kind of are like, we have enough fans already. And, People don't like it. That's cool. But this is how we make our games. We don't want to sacrifice our vision. 
that type of stuff leads me to believe that they will never do that. But there may come a time where they are a little more concerned about how many copies of their games they sell. Um, and maybe, you know, three, four million in the first year, is it going to be enough at some point? And I think at that point, they may reconsider it a little bit, but I'm not all that confident about it. I mean, in some ways, I do admire that they have stuck to their guns because they're probably well aware that if their games were more accessible, they would sell more. Um, they have to be idiots not to. And they're obviously not idiots because they make great games. So I think they're aware of it and just don't care. And I think until they're put in a position where they have to care about it by a publisher or by maybe their own financial peril, or maybe they want to expand someday. And they're like, you know what? We need to sell like 15 million copies of a game so that we can keep building our teams and we can work on more than one game at a time, things like that. Um, if they want to grow up as a studio, maybe they'll reconsider, but I wouldn't hold my breath, man. I, I'm just being honest. Like right now, it doesn't feel like that's in the cards. I think a lot is going to hinge on Elden Ring, honestly. Um, one, what they do with it. And two, depending on what they do with it, how it ultimately sells. Because the reason I, I asked the question, it kind of picks up on what Jay's second part was around um, uh, people viewing games as um, pieces of art. Mm -hmm. I went to the exhibition at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London three years ago, mm -hmm. and um, Bloodborne was at that exhibition. Oh, wow. And the... Um, besides trying to fight through teenagers who shouldn't have even been there saying sick all the time, oh uh -huh. my God, this game's so sick. <laughs> Shut up, get out of here. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was, they, the they had some of the original concept art. Um, it, the, whoever was working on some of that, their internet search history probably got flagged. Um, because <laughs> some of the stuff that, that they had on there was just... Yeah, insane. And a lot of the stuff um, doesn't make it into the game as well. A lot of the more edgier stuff, it like ends up getting cut at the end of the day. Um, but but they, I feel like you need you need artists that are going to do that though. They're going to push the boundaries on stuff and make people recoil and be like, "Oh my god!" And then you you cut that, but then that lets you get other stuff in there that maybe you wouldn't have got in before. It's it's called a red herring, and you can use it. <laughs> anywhere like we used to have at g4 we had a supervising producer who as uh, as the people who were producing the content we all felt like we were better producers than he was and he had just kind of fallen into his job and he would come in and try to make changes to our edits that would make the edits worse and like we would believe it the editor working on the project would be like that's a terrible idea we wouldn't say it to him because he was our boss but he'd leave the room and i'd be like what is he talking about? That's going to make it worse. The editor would be like, yeah, like, that would make it worse. So what we started to do was put red herrings in our edits. We would intentionally make mistakes in our edits so that he would come in and he'd be like, oh, you need to fix that. And he'd be like, oh, you're right. Yeah, well, I can't believe we did that. What a dumb mistake. And he'd feel good about himself and he'd leave. And then he wouldn't worry about like doing the stuff that actually made the edits worse. And you could apply that throughout anything. So a lot of times these artists, they're throwing out red herrings. They're showing, they're going to submit stuff that the team is going to like, be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe you thought that that was okay to put in a game. And they'd be like, well, what about this? Which probably also shouldn't have been in the game, but now they're more open to putting it in the game. It's a psychological tactic. I'm, I'm arming you guys with this power. It's a psychological tactic that works on almost anything. Um, I don't think it would work in teaching. 
I, no, probably not. It's not going to work. <laughs> That's why I said almost anything. <laughs> I don't was, think we want that in teaching, unfortunately. <laughs> it was incredible, though, because they, they had a translated video from one of the Japanese um, producers of Bloodborne mm-hmm. talking about the original artistic vision for all of From Software's games. Mm-hmm. And it was, interestingly, about teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, they said it was about teaching the player a new way of playing. They felt that games had got stale and that by making the games so brutally challenging, you would actually have to retrain gamers to think differently about how you approach the games that they were making. And they're right. I mean, it does make people do that. But all it does is remind me of the SNES and Genesis days and the arcade days where games were made so hard so that you died constantly so that you kept putting quarters into the machine. Uh, that's what from software's games remind me of. They're like arcade they, games that you pay for and you don't have to put in a quarter every like, it, minute I, and a half. I, I wouldn't hesitate to, I'd, I'd be probably be able to buy a house with the amount of money I put into final fight in the arcades. <laughs> for that very reason though, you die every like 90 seconds or every two minutes. Got to keep putting that quarter in. And I think that's really the aesthetic of From Software's games. It feels, and look, arcades are still relevant in Japan. So it doesn't surprise me that this concept would also come from a Japanese studio because that culture is still alive and well there. So um, at the end of the day, it's worked. I mean, you know, they make enough money off of each of their games to keep making more and they keep their fans happy. I do think eventually, though, there may come a time where selling games to that same five to eight or nine million people is going to be enough. And I think that's probably when you'll see things change. I'm, I'm really sorry for stepping on Chase. No, question. I think you, you, you write a lot of context to the question, actually. It was great. Uh, to answer Jay's second question about games as an art form, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's already there. Um, we're going to struggle. There's this, there's the boomers. It, it's always the boomers. <laughs> it's this last generation of people who didn't grow up playing games. So my parents. They're the baby boomers. They didn't grow up playing games. Like I was the first generation to have games. I was a generation that got the Atari 2600 and lived in the arcades and blah, blah, blah. My parents didn't have that. And so they've always viewed video games as something that kids do. And they always will. But they're in their 70s and 80s and they're going away soon. And once they're gone, all that's left are people who have grown up playing games. And I don't, I can't think of anybody my age or younger that looks at video games and says they're just for kids. I just don't. Um, The perception around them has already changed. Um, I will say this. Some of the early 3D stuff, I think it's hard to pass off as art, but then there's some exceptions where you're like, well, a few of them managed to break through and actually create art, even with those really primitive tools that they were using to make games back in the day. So I think we're kind of already there, Jay. I think most people respect games as an art form and the people who make them as artists i think the fact that artists literally yeah i think the fact that artists literally work on games i mean that's what tells you all you need to know if you have artists working on something then it's an art form so i think uh, the stigma around games has i mean since i started doing this i remember you know telling my mom like i'm not going to be a sports writer i'm going to write about games and she thought i was crazy she's like what are you talking about this is back in like 96 like there was IGN and GameSpot and nothing else. And I just remember telling her, like, I'm not going to be a sports writer. I'm going to work on games. And she thought I was nuts. So um, and now her perception about it is changing. She is a boomer. And obviously she's had me as a son her whole life. Who's 
constantly banging the drum and blah, blah, blah. And she sees all everyone in our family plays games and like including my uncles who are like 60 or whatever. And so and I think a lot of people have that. They have that person in their family who plays who's way older than maybe they expected them to be. Um, and I think that changes perception as well. And just seeing games now um, on TV and just being like, wow, like, look at how far that they've come. I just think for the most part, we're there. I think most people accept that games are an art form. Um, and it's a good thing that we got there. Took maybe a little longer than it should have to get there. But again, like a lot of things with a lot of progress, you got to wait for the old people to die. I hate to say it, but it's just the truth. For a lot of progress, you have to wait. You have to wait for the older people who think backwards and aren't looking forward. Uh, you got to wait for them to disappear. And then eventually you reach a consensus with people who all kind of believe the same thing. So I think that'll happen with games and considering games as an art form. Do you think that'll happen with Nintendo? Yeah, I with think so. the older generation dying, you think Nintendo will significantly change uh, with the newer, you know, uh, people in charge? I don't think Nintendo will change itself. I think Nintendo okay. will keep doing what it's doing. Uh-huh. Uh, Do you think we'll get an agreement on climate change quicker than Nintendo might change its? Oh. <laughs> 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 trust you. Well, I think we just actually they just signed a bill last night for a ton of money on climate stuff, which is a good step forward, but far less than what we actually need to save the planet. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, Nintendo's also changing. Like, there's games on the Switch that, like, would have never appeared on prior Nintendo platforms. It's basically just at this point, it lets everything through. It yeah. used to be like, Nintendo would be like, no, that's too violent, or no, that's too sexualized, or you got to turn the blood green instead of red. Like, those days are over. Nintendo hasn't shifted its development all that much. It still mostly makes family-friendly games. Um, but it allows anything on its platforms now, and that's a big deal, and that will help it with third-party support and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I feel like Nintendo's changed a little bit as far as how it deals with third parties. It hasn't changed its development philosophy much, but I also think that, to your point or your, to your question about will older people view Nintendo differently, I think that they do because I think that they play games with their kids now. So a lot of times they'll have the PS5 or the Xbox Series X for them, and their kids have a Switch, and they end up playing the games with their kids on Switch. And they, even if they may not be big Nintendo fans, I think at the very least, they will develop an appreciation for what Nintendo does. I don't know how you can play its games and not feel that way. So I think that, yes, even people like that, their perceptions will be changed on Nintendo over time, or they maybe they already have. Uh, let's see. McWobble, do you have a question for me? Um, I've got... <laughs> You, well, you know me. Um, <laughs> I do know you. <laughs> don't don't give me a platform because I'll use it. Um, <laughs> so I think on the on just to finish off the the last topic, the fact that there was a um, I think it was three weeks uh, purely dedicated exhibition focusing on video games as an art form at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London mm-hmm. really gives credence to the fact that this this has now got international recognition as an art form yeah there needs to be more stuff like that in general like we need one at the louvre (laughs) that's when you've made it (laughs) you have you have an event like that at the louvre but you know in la there's stuff like that i think things like um like video games live tommy tallarico's concert series i think that stuff helps a lot i think the symphony concerts like the legend of zelda tour that nintendo did where they played all Zelda songs with the symphony. I think that helps. Like I took my wife to that and she loved it. Um, and she asked me when we walked out, she's like, can we go to more of these? Like, 
that type of stuff where you're putting games in the context of art, where people have already accepted it as a context of art, it helps. So to your point, doing art exhibitions at a big museum where people are used to going to check out art. Same deal with music from video games, things like that. I think it's there's these invisible cultural walls that need to be broken down. And at this point, I feel like most of them are. Um, I really feel like a lot of the barriers that have been kind of hindering the perception of games among people who aren't dedicated game players, I feel like a lot of them are disappearing and quickly. So, and again, once this other generation is gone and we don't have a bunch of naysayers telling people that games are whatever and they're destroying our society and therefore, you know, people who live in their basement, all these stupid stereotypes that haven't been ever been true and definitely haven't been true for the last like 25 years. Once that those people are gone, that, that messaging is gone, I think we'll see it continue to transform and become something uh, that uh, we'll be even more proud of than we are already is something that we enjoy doing. I won't take offense being in my basement right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I wish I had stage, a basement, Jay. So I wish I had a basement, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in an apartment, so I'll take a basement and however I can get it. Steve, are you um, still there? It seems like he might be, but he turned off his camera and his, uh, his mic, but he's still in the chat. Shane, I hope, I hope you and everyone else won't mind, but I'm going to ask you a sports question. Yeah, I don't think anyone cares. AJ and I were talking about sports before we started recording. Two words. Aaron the liar, Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would have happened if the same thing had happened, uh, say, a few years ago, and it had been Tom Brady and New England? I think the same I thing would have happened. They would have let Tom Brady do interviews without a mask on and live this facade that he was vaccinated. There are certain players that the NFL just seems to protect for whatever reason. They're their golden boys and they want to protect their image. They feel like they drive a lot of eyeballs to the TV broadcasts and all that stuff. And the NFL protects them. I mean, here's the thing about Aaron Rodgers: He's a douche and he lied. Um, and I, I honestly, I feel like the girl that he's with right now is kind of pushing him in this weird direction because she like, creates her own COVID remedies or some mm. crap. Like she's like hippy dippy, whatever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I feel like it's spilling over onto him, but still he lied and he misled everybody. But don't forget that the NFL, while we had no idea that he was unvaccinated, the NFL knew he was unvaccinated and they watched him go and do all these interviews without masks. They saw him on social media posting Photos of himself at these parties with like dozens and dozens of people with his fellow players, because if you're unvaccinated, you're not supposed to be with more than three teammates at a time in a room. And he was at a Halloween party with like 25 of them. And the NFL said nothing. It didn't do anything until he failed his COVID test. And we found yeah. out he had COVID. And then right. the press, I mean, the press should have followed up on this, too. Like they're the ones interviewing him without a mask on. Like, I don't know. It. It's lame on his part, but the NFL isn't innocent in this at all. So it'll be interesting to see how it tries to message this because ultimately they're going to have to admit some fault on their own. They're going to have to be I like, we gonna, knew he was unvaccinated. Week nine to get out of the way and then hope it all goes away. Well, I mean, that's just PR 101. You, you just like, oh, let's announce this on a Friday. Hope everyone forgets it by Monday and we can all move on. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. With this, it's nope. not going to work because. Nope. And you want to know why it's not going to work? Because the journalists are holding their feet to the fire. Yep. And people always talk about the press, blah, 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 fake news, blah, blah, blah. Can't trust the press. 
you need the press for stuff like this because Absolutely. they're the ones who will hold the feet to the fire to make sure change happens. Um, I mean, unless they're a beat writer in Green Bay. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're going to defend him no matter what. Um, and <laughs> Packers fans like I have an aunt who's a Packers fan who used to be a Steelers fan, moved to Wisconsin and changed to Packers, which I'll never forgive her for. Um, but even she like she's she's a, otherwise a really cool person. But she's completely lost her mind on this. She's like, leave A-Rod alone, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what do you mean? He lied. Like, yeah. So there's a it's, lot well, of te- blame. Te- it's, it's intentionally misleading people the same as lying. It is. It absolutely is. <laughs> yeah. It's just like leaving something out that's important a is also lying. Yeah. yeah. It's like omitting um, information that's pertinent is also lying. So, yeah. One, one thing, one thing game-related that I wanted to ask is uh, someone – Someone posted it. I think it was a, a joke tweet um, saying that this year's biggest selling games are going to be the biggest selling games from five, seven, and nine years ago. Meaning like uh, GTA 5 or the GTA trilogy? GTA trilogy, um, mm. and then plus some other remakes as well. Um, how, how much can developers and publishers rely on? the uh, kind of old zeitgeists and nostalgia before it becomes a diminishing return. Until they run out of great games to recreate and the medium hasn't been around long enough to support it for that long, honestly. I feel like they're already starting to get there. Like when Destroy All Humans 1 and 2 gets remade, like, do we really need that? Do we really need a remake of SpongeBob SquarePants? Like, how dare you? I mean, I'm not a big SpongeBob <laughs> fan. And I don't begrudge anyone who is, but I'm just saying that game wasn't that good when it came out. It got like sixes and sevens, and they remade it. So um, there are some publishers are already scraping the bottom of the barrel. So I don't think it can continue all that much longer, honestly. Um, now, Nintendo, it could go on for a long time remaking stuff. I mean, it still has like <laughs> six Pokemon games it can remake. Uh, but a lot of these other publishers that have only had like 10 real hits over the last like 30 years, they're going to run out of material for that quickly. Um, it is a little discouraging to see games that were from like the PS3 and Xbox 360 starting to get remade because that certainly cracks out open a whole other you know section of games that will fall into that category that could be prospects for that. Um, but I think over time, people will start rejecting those types of remakes and they won't sell especially well. Like Crisis. Do we need Crisis remade? The first no. Crisis still can no. hardly run on most PCs. And no. they're like remaking the game. It's like, what are you talking about? It's still a benchmark for PC gaming. Um, so I hear you. It is very discouraging to see how low risk um, a lot of the publishers have become and how willing publishers are to just be like, you know what? We'll throw 50 guys on this thing. We'll, we'll sell 5 million copies of it or whatever. I mean, that's a viable strategy to be profitable and make money but I don't think it's a viable strategy over the long haul. I think hey, sure. with the, the GTA remasters, it's actually been, it's, it's good and bad in equal measure. And in, in my opinion, at least they did some work on those, right? At least yeah. it's not just, Hey, here's the same game, but running on more powerful hardware. So it still looks ugly, but it's crisp, ugly. Like yeah. at least they actually rebuilt the character models. They redid the art style on them. They've added like, a lot of the quality of life improvements that have come along with GTA, like better aiming, uh, better climbing, mm-hmm. um, just better traversal in general. At least they're bringing all that stuff into these. So 
it's hard for me to be too skeptical over what Rockstar did with those, but I think in general, I, I do agree with your point for sure. Hey, Shane. Oh, they did it as well. It's quite interesting because what they did is they took, they, they, Rockstar in um, Glasgow have partnered with two universities in Scotland that both run um, game design and coding uh, degrees. Mm -hmm. So they've got, they, they're building this intake of, um, young developers that they 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 took all of them and basically said remaster GTA and mm -hmm. let's see how you do with it and yeah. that was their that was their entrance exam yeah hopefully a new blue point software is born you know that's the yes. idea that's the hope is you yes. find another studio that you can put on projects like this that are low risk high reward um, and ultimately blue point ended up being purchased by PlayStation. Yeah. And, it's, and now they're making a game that's just theirs. They're, they're, yeah. We all thought their next game would be like, oh, now they're going to remake Bloodborne or what. No, they're actually working on an original game that they've probably had kicking around their studio for like 15 years, just waiting for the opportunity to pitch it to someone who will maybe give them the green light. And now they got it. So royal. Um, come on. Blue yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. Like if, if yeah. Rockstar wants to do that type of stuff, find this young studio of talented people and give them something like that and let them prove themselves. And if they do, the sky's the limit for them. So I think it's smart and I think it's a good way to do business. And I think it's a good way to grow the industry um, and help support young and up and coming development studios. So I think when it's, I, when it's I said good. Battle Royale game for Blue Point, Jay's face just fell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to ask, I wanted to go back to your, um, some may remember your, the game trailer days. Can you please bring back retrospectives, please? No. Dude, they're oh such huge God. projects. Yeah. Oh my God. Those were so amazing. I don't know. I wanted to know whose idea was it initially to do that? Because I believe you guys were the first ones to do that. And now everyone has their version of a retrospective, but you guys did it the best. And they were amazing back in the day. And I remember when I saw the Metal Gear one for the first time, I damn near cried because <laughs> I, 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 no, I'm serious. I believe you. Yeah. The music you guys have going in them, yeah. the tease to the next ones. I mean, you guys were just on point with them. And I loved it so much. I wish you guys would even put together like a collection on DVD or something oh, yeah. of yeah. retrospectives. Well, IGN but, might have to do that now because IGN owns all that content. content oh, man. And they're doing nothing with it. It's just. And it sucks. On their YouTube channel. Yeah. It sucks. Oh my God. Um, but is there, have you thought about bringing it to sifted at all? That's a, that's a great question. So first of all, game trailers was the first to do video retrospectives, but okay. when I worked at GameSpot, my first, my first job there was magazine editor. I was just hired as a foot in the door job to put like EGM and OPM and tips, tips and tricks magazines. Yeah. My first yep. job was just to put them up on as a website. Gotcha. And they thought that was going to be a full-time job, but I ended up getting it done in like a day and a half. And then I had the rest of the month. I'm just sitting there like, okay, I guess we'll have to give Shane something. And I ended up, you know, just doing reviews and everything else and moving up. And I was promoted to features editor. And my job as features editor was retrospectives. That's the oh. only features GameSpot did. That was it uh, back then. And okay. I don't even know if they're still alive, but those retrospectives at GameSpot were like 20,000 words. Wow. And so I would decide which one we were going to do. I'd find a writer from a stable of freelance writers that I thought was best suited to do it. Usually people who are fans of the franchise or just knew a lot about it already. And then I commissioned them to write these gigantic retrospectives. 
And we just put them up is, on a web page with pagination and split them up by the games. And there was like a little nav on the left hand side. So you could just jump to the game you wanted to read about. And they were a pretty big production for back then because there really wasn't even video on websites back then. Yeah. And so anyway, I ended up going to Tech TV and G4 to work on XPlay, where I just worked on video for like five straight years or six straight years. And then I go to game trailers and I was like, well, like peep, they were the most popular thing on GameSpot, by the way. They would just mm -hmm. do millions and millions of page views. So I knew already there was a built-in interest for it. And so I got to game trailers and like Brandon, like he, we were in a meeting one time and I'm like, would you have any interest in doing like crazy retrospectives? And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I sent him links to like some of the stuff we had done at GameSpot. I'm like this, but in a video. Mm. And he's like, let me think about it. And then he came back like two weeks later with kind of the template for how we were going to do them. Mm. And so it was kind of a melding of the minds between I came up with the idea to do it. And then right. Brandon came up with the structure for how to actually execute them. Nice. And then it was just a lot of time. And I mean, honestly, Brandon, it was all he did was just mm. our retrospectives for like a good three years straight. That's all he did. Mm. Um, and he was our voice guy and he did other stuff. But, you know, he was never on like invisible walls. He didn't really work in content that much. He would cut like right. reviews for us and stuff like that. Um, and so he did that for like three years straight and he would work on a retrospective for like two months and he'd come into wow. the content meetings. And I'd be like, oh, what's the update on this retrospective? He'd be like, okay. I, Cause he had to play the games to capture the footage. So he had to play through every game and capture the entire game. And the shame now is like a lot of that footage is in 720p instead of 1080p. So there is an opening, but as you pointed out, the YouTubers have kind of taken it over and they've been doing it. And I would argue what they're doing is not as good as what we're doing at game trailers. They're just not, not at all. Not There's, at all. You can see the work that went into what we were doing at game trailers. And so to answer your third question of whether we would consider doing that on sifted, I have kind of brought that up with Vincent a couple of times because so he works on game pass or fail every week. Right. Most people like the show, but we really thought when we were developing the show that it might finally be like this thing that catches on and brings more people to sifted and our YouTube channel could grow and blah, blah, blah. It hasn't worked out that way. It hardly does mm -hmm. any views. You guys seem to like it. Like mm -hmm. probably about half of our audience ends up watching it. Like as far as our subscribers and our Patreons ends up watching each episode, but it's not moving the needle. And we're at the point where we need to move the needle. So I've been kind of pitching this concept to Vincent of him kind of doing like maybe just one big video every month instead of doing four episodes of Game Pass or Fail. Right. I don't know how people would feel about that if they would rather have one retrospective per month instead of four episodes of Game Pass or Fail, but maybe people can leave their thoughts on that in the comments below. <laughs> I feel on this, you, you are in a, a very serious quandary. Yeah. Um, because the YouTube algorithm promotes the frequency of content, mm -hmm. not necessarily the scale and quality. Mm -hmm. um, we publish something new to our YouTube channel almost every day. We have everything planned out so that Almost and there's almost something every day for our patrons and our subscribers, and then everything staggered perfectly so that there's something new that goes up on our YouTube channel every day, but Sunday usually. Um, so we have the frequency there. Well, I you're think slacking what, on Sundays then, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> I have. I have to have one day off, but I don't, I still work on Sundays. I curate on Saturdays and Sundays to give Vincent time away from it. Um, so Saturday I work all day, and then Sunday I usually work like three hours in the morning. I'll curate and get through all that stuff in the morning. And then I'll watch football for the rest of Sunday. So I do give myself some time for that. Um, but yeah, like, so I've been pitching it to Vincent. He hasn't been especially receptive to it. 
Um, but Come on, Vince, get on board. <laughs> get on board, Vince. Yeah. Hey, Chase, let me tell you, my wife watched the Star Wars retrospective you guys did. She loved it. She awesome. said, oh, my God. She goes, I learned things, uh-huh. you know, and we're we are a huge Star Wars. We're a nerd family in this household. Right. We go to Comic-Con. We go to all the crazy stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> we, we went you to found yourself the right first. wife, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I converted her. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, man, we, she sat down with me. I've got her to watch the Castlevania one with me, the Star Wars one, awesome. the Metal the Metal Gear one. She kind of got bored. <laughs> but, Lots of minutia. Yeah. 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 But overall, I would if there are gentlemen or ladies on this right now who have never watched the retrospectives from game trailers, please do yourself a favor and watch them because they were amazing. And Still they can all are. be updated now, too, because. It's been like eight years since they since game trailers existed. If you can believe that, that's hard to believe. Um, and so all those series have continued on and have new entries now. And so those could all be. But I mean, another thing I should bring up is you should notice that Easy Allies isn't doing them either. I mean, they did uh, the did Souls retrospective, and then that was it. I thought because they were going to so do much work, man. Like, yeah, yeah, I thought they were going to do more as well. But yeah, the yeah. Souls retrospective was really good that they did as well. I would totally check those out if you guys are into Souls. But they've stopped doing them because there's so much work, and maybe they looked at the views they got on YouTube for it, and they were like, "This isn't worth the work." And they, or maybe they just looked at their Patreon and they're like, you know what? Actually, our Patreon went down this month when we did our retrospective. Who knows? But for some, whatever reason, they've decided that it's not worth it. Um, and so, but, you know, they're fine. They have plenty of revenue. They're not looking for a hit to like spark them like we are. Mm. Um, so I am far more open to the idea of doing it. But again, it would be, it would have to be a project that Vincent works on. And I would have to work with him on it a lot um, to get it done. But I'm more than willing to, because again, Sifted needs a spark. We need to publish something that catches on and people are like, oh my gosh, that's really mm-hmm. awesome. Like, who are these guys? Um, because what we're doing right now is not accomplishing that. So um, we've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with Vincent a few times. Um, right now, Game Pass or Fail is kind of on thin ice right now. Um, we're probably going to keep producing it until the end of the year and then kind of reconsider uh, when we get back from the holidays. So we'll see how it goes. But believe me, that is one of the priorities for me. Um, if we can get Vincent to do something else, that is what I would like him to do. So, If you need an angry British person to rant about things they don't like about the <laughs> games industry, I'm, I'm available. Wait, I think I had one of those before. Is, <laughs> yeah. Say Marcus? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully Marcus good. is doing well, Shane. Is he doing well, Marcus? He, I Look, so healthcare stuff is private, and so I don't want to share too much. Um, right. I'll leave that for him. You should definitely follow him on Twitter because he puts updates up there all the time. Okay. But yes, he is doing better than expected. The treatments that he has been getting are working. Yes, yes. I know you got to go, but uh, uh, my friend, two questions. One, I think is going to be pretty fast. So my first question is, you were talking earlier about the the uh, the, comp- the complex aspect of, you know, being a, de- 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 a developer and, and, and so forth. Uh, but I was wondering if you were to start um, a video game company to do a game, uh, an indie game, what would be the first step that you would take for somebody that doesn't know anyone in the video game industry, but you would be interested in doing a game? First thing you should do is download Unity or Unreal Engine. <laughs> I mean, really. And just kind of figure out if it's even feasible for 
you to do the project because you're not you're not gonna be able to do it alone if you're not a programmer already it's gonna be right. impossible you can't do it at all so you need to figure out you need to download unity or some middleware program figure out if if it's even something you want to do because a lot of people want to make video games until they actually start trying to make one so mm. even if you're not the guy who's going to be working in unity and you hire someone to do that or you find someone to do it for free or whatever you're still going to have to be in those tools all the time just to work with that person on the game. So I think the first step really is to just figure out if you really want to do it. Um, mm. And then the second thing would be just having an idea for a game isn't good enough. Um, mm. Everybody has an idea for a video game, but have you really thought it out? Have you thought about like how, what's the gameplay loop? How is the game structured? What's the menu screen like when you boot up the game? Where does it take you? How does the UI work? Where's the music going to come from? It's, it's very easy to be like, I have this, like, I have a game idea, like a, a dog fighting game that I've had in the back of my mind for forever. And I have like the control scheme worked out for it, blah, blah, blah. And I know it would be shot down if I went anywhere. I'd have to do it on my own. Although- Is it by Michael Vick? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'll say this though, seeing cockfighting and Far Cry <laughs> kind of reinvigorated my idea a little bit. I was like, hey, maybe I'm not so crazy. But right anyway, on. like to me right now, that idea is just that. It's like it's a dog fighting game. People are not going to like it. It's going to be controversial. It's going to get a ton of hype. And I know what the control scheme is going to be. That's not enough. Like I, if you're trying to get people to join on with you to build a game, and I went to them and I said, I have this idea for a dog fighting game, um, and this is the controls. They're going to laugh me out of the room. They're like, dude, are you crazy? Like I'm not working on that. So. I think the biggest thing is just figure out, do you really want to make a video game or do you just want to talk about making a video game? And I think if people do that, I think most people will decide, yeah, I think I'm cool. Just playing video games. <laughs> oh, your dog is adorable, by the way. <laughs> no, one, I don't think anyone else can see it because I was talking, but AJ has an adorable dog. And what's your second question, Steve? Uh, yeah. So what's your take on what's happening with, uh, we never heard back about uh, cyberpunk and where it was going and so forth. And, like, have you heard anything? Like, is it, it's over? Like, it's done? It is what it is? What do you mean about Cyberpunk? The game or the controversy oh, no, but, but, oh, where but, people got mad yeah, at me I for mean, releasing the, the voiceover stuff? <laughs> I thought I thought there was supposed to be a PS5 version. Did that come out? Like, oh, so or, they did. They just announced that stuff. That's all been delayed till next year. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was not aware. Okay. okay. Yeah, so yeah, it is I'm still coming, myself. although it appears that they've ended up cutting the multiplayer mode for good. Oh, right. But okay. like the next gen versions are still coming and they're still squashing bugs on it and stuff like that. But yeah, that's where it's sitting right now. At this point, like I feel like they're almost wasting their time even working on the PS5 and Xbox Series X versions. Like, no, Shane, I didn't play it specifically okay. because you guys Said killed wait. it. Yeah. And so okay. I waited. I took Matt and your advice and I literally have the game from day one <laughs> and have not played it. At okay. all. So Fair enough. Make, don't do that to me. I want to. Well, then, I remember look, the when you hyped versions. it. Yeah. yeah, I remember when you hyped it when you first saw it. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to play this. Yeah. That's partly <laughs> my fault. And I will apologize for that. Um, no, you're good. You're good. What they showed apparently, me, believe me, was far more impressive than what they ended up releasing. So I do apologize for that. But well, I don't know what else I could have done. I, I always do look out for you guys. Like, just know that. Like, I am always. Like, my number one concern is. How can I save you guys 60 bucks? I mean, that's really what I think about like all the time when I'm working on Sifted. So I'm not perfect, obviously. And they, they got me. They fooled me. Absolutely. Their demo that they showed to everybody fooled. And it wasn't just me. It fooled everyone. I'm not trying to say, oh, it wasn't just me. But it, they fooled Shane, everybody. 
they were Shane, there's a great three words that you can use to save everyone 60 bucks or whatever you pay around the world in differential <laughs> currency. It's on Game Pass. Yeah. <laughs> that does help, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And now Not I'm just trying forms. to save them 13 bucks. <laughs> uh, Steve, any follow-up to that? No, so uh, I'm good. I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess I have a follow-up because what you just said. So you saw that demo of Cyberpunk at E3, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you think E3 is coming back on a physical form? Yeah, I do. And I think it'll be back in physical form this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think they're going to wait as long as they possibly can to announce that. Uh, because I think they should wait as long as they can, because right now the numbers look real good. Like everything's going down, like the COVID numbers in the U.S. But we thought that was happening in July. Remember, we were like, oh, it's over. And then it wasn't. The Delta variant came around. So and then you remember last winter, we had a huge surge from like November, December, January. And we had recovered from that. And then the Delta surge happened. So um, it's obviously not an absolute because I think we've all thought two different times it might be over and it wasn't. Um, so I think they're going to wait until the last possible minute. I mean, they have, from what I've been told by reliable sources, they have booked the LA convention center for this year already, which that's a big commitment just to put that deposit down. So my guess is it'll be back in physical form. And, um, everybody I know that would know also agrees that it will be back in physical form for 2022. So well, well, Shane, just to follow up on that, I think the Comic Con that's coming this year after Thanksgiving, which me and my wife are actually going to, is a test bed type thing. Yeah. And I think after that happens, they're going to see because uh, the Comic Con happens Thanksgiving weekend mm -hmm. and uh, our kids are all grown and everything. So we're like, hey, we're going to go do it this year awesome. again. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many people, you know, all the good stuff, how they're, you know, with the mask and everything. So it's going to be interesting. But I think that's going to be like a test bed for a lot of these big events. Yep. Well, before we started recording today, I was talking to Jay about this very thing about stuff reopening and events. And just in the last like month and a half, I started going to things again. Like I went and saw a friend of mine from Philly who came to LA to DJ. I went to see him play nice. um, and the club held like 400 people and they let like 150 in and they right. had like the front door and the back door open. So the air was just blowing through the whole time. Um, then I went to EDC. They had two, there was 200,000 people there in Vegas and they checked everyone's fax card, 200,000 people. They checked every vax card and then you okay. get inside the venue and like there's tons of space between everybody. It's all outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm going to a wedding right after this in like an hour and a half. I have to leave for a wedding here in L.A. So things are getting back to normal. Finally, um, yeah. and even personally in my life, things are getting back to normal. So I think there's just lots of positive signs. The data is a really positive sign that everything is already kind of getting back to normal. And I think by June of next year or in your case, November of next year, I think we should be good. So DJ Shane on the ones and twos. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do it much. I mean, I still play like my, my turntables and records are right here. I, know, I still play I know. for fun, but I do not uh, play out anymore. I should probably pursue that more because I have ways I could play out. Like if I actually got my shit together and put it, put together a new mix, like I have people who could book me for gigs. So I should probably do that. Yes, you should. I'd like to, I'd like to point out Shane did a swear. 
What? I just swear. I think he needs to go and wash his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cleansing myself before I go to the wedding to make sure I'm, I'm nice and stable. Shane, real quick. My yeah. wife wanted to say that she recognized you from What's your up? voice. Oh, yeah. oh really? Voice. Like, well, that's the podcast you listen to all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. All the time. I hear you all the time. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, AJ. You got yourself a good wife there, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, I got to wrap it up there, man. I got to get in the shower, get ready for this wedding. This was a really great episode. I'm glad you guys all stopped by. I was really worried that like no one was going to show up and weren't, we weren't going to be able to do the live ones anymore because I really, this is way better than me like getting a list of questions from you guys and going to the studio by myself and sitting there and being doing this very canned like Q&A thing. I enjoy this a lot more. It's way more yeah. freeform. The discussion can go in different directions. You guys can follow up on your questions. Um, so thank you guys for showing up. I really, really appreciate it. And honestly, I think most of the people, our patrons and our subscribers, like it better this way too. I think they like this yes. show better. Um, yeah. And so on behalf of them, thank you guys for showing up. I really appreciate it. Have yourselves a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you guys Tuesday for Game Face. <laughs>